Sweet people, we've got a secret for you guys. Something new. Yes, we're so excited about it. Yeah, it's going to be something really, really cool. What do you think it is, Michael? It's a way for you to contact the show. Yes. A new email address. Woo! Nope. No? No, not that. Oh, you mean like Instagram comments? Nope. Come on, man. What is it? No, man. This is a phone number. You can call us. You can leave us a comment on all of our episodes now. Dang, we got our own phone number now? Yeah, we're giving out our numbers, all you people out there. What is it? 623-404-6688. Ooh, that's pretty. Say it again. (laughs) 623-404-6688. Eight, eight. Love it. We want to hear from you guys. But just know, whatever you leave on that message machine, it could be played back on future episodes. So That's right. Keep it, you know, at least PG-13 rated. Right. Like you do that, right? Yeah, I can't help it. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. What's going on, sweet people? Personas dulces. To the Forging Fury. Forging Fury. Forging Fury podcast. I'm so excited. We've got faces only our mother could love. Can't believe you just said that. Love you, mean it. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Forging Fury Podcast. This is Michael Gray, and you're probably wondering why is Riley not doing the intro? Well, that's because for the first time, I am without Riley on a podcast. I'm traveling up to Salt Lake City, Utah, and I actually traded out my previous host for a much better looking host, and that is my wife, Heidi Gray. Heidi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Now, I'm excited to have her here, and there's a reason why she's part of this this show specifically. It's because of who we're interviewing, and we are interviewing Aaron and Michael Blevins. Now, Aaron specifically has had a very, very big impact on the lives of Heidi and me, and I'm going to let Heidi explain why Aaron is important to us and why we invited her on this podcast. Mostly, she helped our waistlines. Um, but actually, we got in contact with her just through kind of a crazy uh, a series of events, I would say, and got her phone number, tracked her down, and she first introduced us to macros, eating certain macros and staying on that. She also encouraged us to work out, which Michael listened to faster than I listen to, but I'm there, I'm working out now, um, and just got us on the right track. So between both of us, Michael, how much have we lost since we started? Oh, I'd say about 80. 80 pounds. Maybe I'm, I'm up from there, but I'm going to count the lowest I was. Okay. How's that sound? So Wait, you've lost 80 pounds? Together. Or together, okay. Oh, wait, no. I lost 80. Yeah, and I lost 40. Yeah, so that's oh, uh, 120 my. pounds, all due to you. So that's We lost huge. a human. An entire human. So anyway, we haven't let Michael or Aaron talk now. So Aaron, welcome to the podcast. Michael, welcome as well. Thank you, guys. We're we're excited to be here. I'm excited. Are you excited? I'm excited. I'm excited to do this um, because we know like the tip of the iceberg of who you are and what you do. So I can't wait to dive into what you guys do. I mean, we know what you do because you helped us. But there's like a gazillion other things you do. Yeah, Aaron's much more than just a nutrition <laughs> macros coach. And, and Michael, is, uh, he's also a, uh, a podcaster himself. He's the, uh, one of the hosts of the Dissect podcast. Correct. And I would love to describe that. But it's right now, our tagline is, we're the world's worst fitness pod- podcast. I love it. <laughs> I, I thought that's what we were. Okay, so you want, you want we'll that title. In the okay. rankings. Nice. If you only knew how many times uh, Riley and Michael have talked about Pop-Tarts on this podcast, <laughs> they might compete for the world's worst yes. okay. fitness. Uh, we have talked about a Pop-Tarts too, actually. Pop-Tarts are actually pretty useful depending on what you're using them for. Yeah, they're, they're, and I think they... they <laughs> Good to know. My nutritionist said that just now. All <laughs> right. the, the rise of popularity was uh, from Pop-Tarts was uh, Dr. Lane Norton, um, a very like you know well-known, if it fits your macros, kind of nutrition coach. Sure. He... Um, he used to talk about how he would modify macros by, you know, using a pure form of a macro and a pop tart is a pure form of a carbohydrate. It isn't muddled very much by fat. So he could use it to modify, to fill in when he needed really dense carbohydrates when he was too full to eat, you know, cups of rice. He would use a pop tart because two pop tarts is like 72 grams of carbohydrate. Right. 84. With Oh, okay, so, depends on the flavor, probably. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah which strawberry. Ones do you, oh, I always go for strawberry too. 
Actually, mm. the s'mores ones are Cinnamon delicious. brown sugar is mine. Anyway, yeah, okay. <laughs> Riley's going to be so excited that we're talking about Pop-Tarts, and that you're giving a nutritional reason why they're actually somewhat okay. So well, he's going to love this. I think that's the thing. that I, That was the point. Most people will jump straight to like, yeah, but it's sugar. It's bad. It's processed. It's bad. And it, I think the point of food isn't whether it's bad or good, is if it's useful or less useful. Like, it depends on what you're doing. A lot of what we say nutrition... Uh, is good or bad is like is it useful to you and the biggest thing that has changed us isn't like trying to aim for a certain way of eating described by what foods i should eat but aiming for foods that affect me a certain way right there's a difference if i eat you know 100 grams of carbohydrates versus like if you eat 100 grams of carbohydrates we have a different outcome Mm -hmm. and so we need to pay attention to that outcome not what the specific food is because if you have a bad outcome and you say 100 grams of carbohydrates is bad you've just made a moral judgment about a food that is really useful to me and then it confuses the conversation in nutrition right mm. so i think that conversation is important because i've i've always thought ever since i realized that the food pyramid that i was taught growing up was <laughs> inverted and was backwards like I, i'm skeptical of just about anything diet related now that probably doesn't help me in the long run because i don't really dive into anything but mm. i'm always kind of skeptical about anybody who's like this is the way across yeah. the board that you have to, to look at things. But I so. think that's what makes it so difficult because you can Google, you know, I want to lose weight or, or diets, <laughs> and I, you will get 7,000 different... I was going to say, I don't yeah. recommend doing yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it's just... And I think that's why Michael and I needed somebody. We yeah. needed somebody to say, okay, here's what you're going to do and mm. here's how to do it. And I loved when we'd call Aaron and say, okay, this week, we talked to her every week, this week, here's what happened. She'd say, okay, well, then let's do this or let's do this. And she's watching what's happening, like you were saying. And she's adjusting watching. as needed, right? Yeah. Usually she tells me, less carbs, Michael, come on. Well, and the, the nice thing about having someone that's, you know, right there with you each week, um, like me, for example, <laughs> um, is I really can say, you know, Heidi does pretty well with carbohydrates. Michael does not. Let's adjust. Let's make it work for both of you guys so you mm-hmm. can still eat meals together. Oh, you're going out of town. You're going to be in the car for a day. Like, let's pull back 10% of calories or let's hold off on some carbs since you'll be sedentary. And having someone watch that process for you that closely is, if you're paying attention, a nice way of learning. You know, it's someone that's saying, hey, it's okay. This is okay. It's okay to eat. Yeah. yeah, the yes. importance of having a guide is kind of overlooked by most people. They think it's like, maybe it, it it says to the world, I don't know, it makes me incompetent because I need somebody to show me. But all it is is a, a shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's really hard to see what you're doing while you're doing it. It, it feels a certain way and you let emotional and circumstantial things get in the way of doing what you're doing, whether it's how to move a barbell or whatever, you need somebody from the outside that's like, actually, you're doing this, and you should try to shift that. And if you can take that person's advice, that's a nice guide. Yeah, like it, That's all it is, is somebody saying, hey, I'm looking from far away, and, and from my perspective, it looks like these are the mistakes you're about to make. Yeah, and I think the guide, the guide point is, is a good one, but it's also, for me, it was an accountability, because I had mm-hmm. to call her every single week and be like, Here's where I came in. And, and she would look at my macros for a day, be like, what happened on Saturday? And I'd have to say, well, there were donuts involved or Pop-Tarts or whatever, you know. And, <laughs> and I'm an honest person, so I would I would say when I screwed up and, you know, it, you'd be like, you know what? That's not the end of the, of the world. Let's just keep moving forward and yeah. do better tomorrow. So we need, to, we need to shout out the person that got us connected with Aaron, and that's Mike Ludi. Who oh, nice. is, uh, we, I just love that guy. He's one of the nicest CrossFit guys I've ever met in my life. So, Mike, you know I've talked to you awesome. about you a few times. Uh, <laughs> we're talking about you again. So um, that's how we got connected. He just got engaged. He did. Yeah. I know. I don't know. what is that girl blind or something? Because he... No, <laughs> oh, <I'm> <laughs> oh that's, I have to cut that out, I think. Edit. Nonsense. <laughs> no, she, she that's came how guys of, show affection <laughs> as they tease each other. That's right. It's like... Hashtag bald and beautiful. That's right. I can't make fun of him too much, right? Bald, I wish I looked bald like him. Jacked. So, yeah, um, jacked. So when we called you, Aaron, you were doing, you, you did this kind of thing for a lot of people or for a select amount of people. By the way, we sent you like 80 gazillion people. I <laughs> we know. did. We did. And not all of them stuck with you. Thanks, Mom guys. and dad, if you're listening to this. I, Ooh, that's uh, Get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> So um, if someone wants to get a nutritionist or, or start on a macros program, just talk about how you approach things for the first time with, with someone who's completely out of shape and who just wants to get into eating better. What's your 
What's your, your oh, trip? Oh, wow. So I, I, there's a couple different things that I, um, that I look at first. Activity level. Um, do you work out? Are you training for something? Are you competing in something? What is your background? Um, and then we dive into psychology. Like, where are you right now and how did you get there? Um, if you're significantly overweight, let's look at why. You know, is it because you got a new job and you're working 60 hours a week and and you're sedentary and, you know, you're you're 40 years plus and your metabolism slowed down? Like, what's gotten you to this point? Um, because a lot of times it's something a little bit deeper than that even. Mm-hmm. Um, but just for, you know, the normal person that wants to lose weight, maybe they go for walks a couple times a week, you know, they work 40 hours, sit at a desk, drive a couple hours a day. Um uh, my first um my first thought would be lower carb you know maybe put in some paleo guidelines um and i just i use that very loosely but it is it's a good guideline yeah. you know i don't i don't like food cults but it's a good one to say hey let's pull out all of the processed foods or at least for the most part pull them out for now and then we'll start adding them back in um you know and see what we can get away with later yeah um, so then, you know, if someone's a little bit more active, adding carbohydrates around training, so a little bit of food timing, and then really just watching, like paying attention, have someone track, have someone track for a week, see how many calories they're eating per week, per day, and then depending on their goal, either add or pull back. Yeah. And it's, it's always a little bit depressing. It, it's a little time consuming to track, but you get used to it after a while and you can get an idea of how much each meal would be, especially if you have the same meals. But then when you look at the end of the day and you're like, man, I cannot believe I have that many carbs when I'm supposed to only have X amount. So it, right? it's eye opening for sure. Wait, cheesecake doesn't have four grams of carbs in it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny because if you check. log on my fitness pal, like people can go in there and edit oh, macros yeah. <laughs> And so if it's not a, like a certified or a verified food on there, um, I have some clients that'll go in and just put like, they'll find the lowest thing right? and add all of that. And I'm like, there's no way you're only eating like, you know, 800 calories a day. I there's got a no McFlurry way. shake and it only has 250 calories. You're like, what McFlurry <laughs> did you get? Like, right. did you only eat did an you eighth lick of a it? spoon yeah, that was yeah. in the garbage? It's like, how did you get away with this? But... All, people are really good about convincing themselves that they're doing the right thing and getting the thing that they want. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, accountability is one thing. I've always said I'm a that, great like, example of that. I, well, I've always said like, <laughs> if you want to change like people's eating habits, go into a lunchroom of any office building and just put a you know you can put out all the treats you want, but you put a board and it's a requirement that you just have to write your name and what you took. And people will totally change their behavior based off of like, well, Julie from HR ate nine brownies. Like we know why she looks the way she looks. It's totally obvious to anybody. And that would be a really deep reflection to her to be like, oh, my behavior is my outcome. Yeah. And she changes that behavior. I've seen it happen in real life where we were on a, I tell this story a lot because it was the first time that I noticed the power of accountability where we were on uh, Man of Steel. So we're training some actors for that. And we usually go into the snack room, and this is the most epic snack room you've ever seen. I call in your it life. the refill room. Yeah, it's it is like you've never seen something like what a a big it's a three hundred sixty five million dollar movie yeah. that they budgeted, and so they feed everybody everything. So besides the craft food services that bring in lunch and breakfast, in between they go to Whole Foods and they spend about a thousand dollars a day on all the trail mixes, all the organic cookies, all the. What are, there's apples and there's other stuff. There's, you know, a vegetable tray. And then they bring in like a charcuterie tray of like che- uh, cheeses and meats. So there's all this thing. And I walk in and be like, this is insane. I'd get so fat if I just like gave into it. Like yeah. if I didn't know better, I would just be obese. And we would go in there to make shakes for our client and have a little chat after the training. And people would come in and they would like see us. And then they'd be like, oh, wow, man, there's just nothing healthy to eat. And then they would leave. And I'm like, man, people are really conscious of what they're doing. (laughs) Like, that's great. I don't understand why they're overweight because it seems like they're really paying attention. And so we left one day and I, uh, this lady earlier had come in and she got, you know, they just don't buy anything healthy these days. I'm like, yeah, that's not what I said. I was like, give me the Nutella and the brownie. Like, <laughs> right. And so I for, we left and I forgot the, the blender. So I like ran back in to get our Vitamix because it was ours. 
and she turned and looked at me she had like two brownies in her mouth at once she was like trying to make up for the fact that i got in her way from eating brownies and she laughed and i laughed because i did i realized that it was us we were making them feel uncomfortable about eating a certain way because they knew we were the trainers they knew that we were like harping on people for diet, which what they didn't know is we don't care what people do. Yeah. I was like, we only look after the people that we look after and people eat how they want to eat. And then I was like, man, accountability, even if it's perceptual, like it's just the perception of accountability is right. really strong for people. Well, yeah. I, I even think on a small scale, I mean, if I ever, if, if Heidi sends me out shopping for groceries and I see like the hostess cupcakes that are there, I get it almost mm. <laughs> almost every you time used to i don't i i still do sometimes <gasps> if i'm by myself now if i'm with you i would never get it but that and that's the thing i i have to have self-discipline when i'm by myself but like you said when other people are around kind of holding you accountable it's it's tough to well it, i mean it's easier to say no when you have people who can sure. praise you for this, saying no this is where this is where i come to you know this is a deep philosophical issue but i say there's no such thing as free will and i don't think there there is such thing as will but people are so obsessed with you know, oh, it's my, I just need to be more determined. I need to be stronger. I need to be this. It's none of that. It's your environment that you set up that really makes the choices for you. Because if everybody is like, no, I'm not getting sure. That's bad for you. I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to feel achy. I don't want, I don't want the detrimental effects of this bad food. You for sure are going to be like, okay, yeah, I'm not going to do that either because your environment influences yeah. you. Sure. And so there's also this thing with the parts of your brain that run on certain you know molecules so we know that ketones fuel a large percentage of the brain they can so a high fat diet limited carbohydrate you can shift most of your brain metabolism over to ketone bodies but you can't shift the prefrontal cortex over to that the prefrontal cortex is in control of compulsion control so when your glycogen stores are full your brain is operating just fine you're making good decisions so when i wake up you know eat breakfast it's egg whites it's this or it's Whatever I need to, the decision is easy to make because, you know, I don't, it's just easy. It doesn't seem like it takes any work. And at lunch, when I'm hungry, I'm like, oh, I'll get a chicken salad because I'm on the right track and I'm doing all the right the things. The day just hasn't gotten to you yet. <laughs> yeah, but then I get home and suddenly I'm face first in like a pint of Ben and Jerry's because it was the fastest thing I could get. And when you're like, man, my willpower just sucks. You're like, no. You have run your body out of glycogen and your brain needs Mm -hmm. glycogen. So you have put your brain in the worst circumstances to make decisions. And then you've put yourself in an environment that you're not going to make good decisions in because you have the availability. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's usually about you don't have to make decisions if you control your environment. Like if I made decisions about what environment I'm going to be in. So if my house doesn't have any of this stuff then I can't make a bad decision. Therefore, that person has goodwill. No, I don't. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I don't have any other options. I'm fortuitous. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I know what bad decisions I'm capable of making and I'm not putting myself in a position to make those bad decisions. I think meal prep would be a similar thing, Mm -hmm. right? If you, I've learned that if I have a meal ready for me for lunch, when I used to drive downtown to work, Mm. if I brought my meal with me and I just threw it in the microwave and heated up, it was chicken and broccoli, then Mm -hmm. I would eat that, and I didn't have to go to Chick Fil A that day. So, right. yeah, that, have to. That, yeah. <laughs> I have to go to Chick Fil A. Yeah, didn't have to. So, yeah, yeah, I, I love that. I, that accountability thing is, I think, why Heidi and I were both so successful working with Aaron, just because you had to have that accountability, and we were accountable to each other. And yeah, you know, that's it, helpful. Having three kids makes it kind of tough, though, because mm-hmm. kids like Lucky Charms, and oh I like Lucky I, and Charms. And they never and, finish their grilled cheese sandwich, and it's like. I have to finish that because yes. I'm not a wasteful person. I, I, I agree with that too. <laughs> so. I, I do have to say that Heidi's probably like, I, I don't know, maybe one out of four of my clients I've ever had okay. that really sticks to macros. Like I give her numbers and she's like, okay, well, I can't have that today because it's not in my... I'm a rule follower. I know. And mm. so I like... I think that's probably... Because you teach little kids. <laughs> yes. Oh. I, I think um, that's why I like CrossFit. Like... Walking into a big gym overwhelms me because I don't have anyone telling me what to do, when to do it, how to do it. But when I walk into my gym, I look at my coach and say, okay, what am I doing? You know, lift that heavy bar above your head. I go, okay, I can do that, you know. (laughs) Um, And that's why I liked working with you because because it was eat this, eat this many carbs, okay, I will try to, I will try to hit that many carbs. But we stopped working with Aaron about what was it, December? 
maybe. I think we we kind of stopped at that point. You still have that though. Like you're not having someone tell you what to do, and you've kept it, and you still you, you're applying that now, which is far better than me because I tend to not be a rule follower. <laughs> so what makes you like? What changes it for you in your head? Um, to like some some weeks or some days you're really on point, and the other days or other weeks you're like, oh, you know, I kind of slipped here and there. Me specifically, mm-hmm. what, this is one of those weird things um, where I've heard somebody say, if you have a crack in your iPhone screen, do you just take a hammer to it just to crack it up more? That's what I do. If if I don't work out <laughs> some morning because I slept in, I'm okay. like, well, screw it. It's all day, the day's well, ruined. I guess I'm so I'm Ben have... and Jerry's for breakfast. Yeah. So <laughs> and I literally do that. I justify to myself why it's okay for me to do it because I didn't go work out, which is insane. And I have to yeah. just. Which you should do the opposite, right? I should, right? I didn't work out, so I'm really going to watch what I eat. Well, that's why the iPhone screen yeah. crack is a good analogy because yeah. that's a stupid thing to do, do that, but yeah. I do it. Well, it's yeah. like what we call head-first mentality. Yeah. Like if I'm going to dive, I guess I'm just going – like if I don't know the depth, well, I'm going to test it with my head. Right. It's like it's the wrong thing to do, yeah. but your your compulsion <laughs> is to do the wrong thing. Right. So I, I'm, a, I'm like you. I'm a rule breaker. Like when people give me rules, I look for ways to not follow them or right. ways to like find a way to break them and still get away with it. Yeah. It I, depends on what it is. Kind of. I just don't like authority. Like I'm I'm generally really rebellious. But right? you are able to be really cautious with diet. Like if Michael gets hurt and he, you know, isn't able to train the way that he wants to train, he's like, well, I'm not eating like that. But here's why. And this is where my rebellious nature will overwrite my nature to want to break the the iPhone is I go, uh, I look at other people and I use them. I go, I see how they eat and I go, oh, I'm not going to do what they do. I'm going to prove them wrong. So my behavior is based off of mostly being rebellious. Like I'm going to prove that you can do something. I'm going to overwork so I can eat this food or I'm going to, you know, eat certain things because people don't like it. Burpees is a perfect example. Nobody likes burpees. When I first started doing burpees, they were so painful and everybody hated them. And I looked around and everybody would grumble and make it 10 times worse. So I was resolved to be like, I'm going to start enjoying burpees. Whenever there's burpees, I'm going to get really excited. I'm going to change the dopamine response to when I hear that word, I get excited. I go, oh, cool, because everybody hates it. So I know they're suffering more than me. Mm -hmm. So when I am better at them, they suffer even more. Because like, how did you do with them? You don't feel the same pain. Now I make somebody else feel pain. This sounds really masochistic, but I like watching other people hurt yeah. when I don't have to. And the same thing is with diet. Like we had this thing where I would, um, I was consulting for this keto company for a while, and we'd go out to dinner with people, and I'll, these people are not fit. Like you can tell they're not fit. They don't. Maybe they just don't live an active lifestyle, or they don't pay. They they've just found like a ketogenic diet. But the truth is, most of them They've don't They've just eat. found friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but most people just wanted to belong to something, and this seems like the next best thing. So we'd go out to dinner with these big groups of people, and everybody would order the same thing. It was like a burger with no bun, um, extra avocado and bacon, but everybody was okay getting sweet potato french fries. Right. And they were like, it was like... <laughs> You guys know that's a carbohydrate, right? Like that. <laughs> I just, not keto. And then so to prove a point, I would just get the most ridiculous thing I could possibly think of, which it was like, could I get a pizza with like truffle fries? Yeah. Or a waffle for the table. And then I would like put the fries in the pizza and fold it and eat it like a taco. And they would look at me like, what is wrong with you? Like, how are you even alive? And it was because, well, you don't see how I eat 99% of the time. Sure. Which is mostly vegetables and good protein sources. And I'm really careful about what I eat. What I wanted to do is prove a point. Is like, your display is for everybody else. Like, you're eating that way to prove that you are part of the group. I'm eating this way to prove that I'm not like you. Right. And so most of my, like, issue with, like, you know, following rules is like, well, I'm going to break them and show that I can break them. Yeah. And that helps. It, it means like I am going to die first, but I'm actually going to check the depth before I'm going to run up to the lake before anybody's there, check the depth, pretend that I don't know it and then dive head first and watch people go, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> like that's, that's the kind of thing that I don't know, motivates me and let yeah. other people break their necks. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I know we, we talked about David Goggins. He calls yeah. that taking souls. Like he, yeah. he just loves the idea of taking souls. Like it's when you see the other person, like yeah. struggle and you're, uh. you're pushing past that. So it's mm. a lot more that. fun to do when you're lean. 
like order a bunch of junk food for the table and people are like, <laughs> how do they look like that and eat like that? Heidi, did you look, sound like you had a question? Well, I, now I, I just want to get into um, them, who they train and how Let's you got into that. Nitty-gritty. Yeah. I mean, we had no idea when we were coming on with Erin that she trained more important people than us or, you know, well, we, more, more fit people. I, or. I think that's not true. It's hard to oh. imagine. More important yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but more exciting people for sure. I don't know. I don't know that. if that's true. <laughs> I just, well, to, to society, more exciting, exciting right? Yeah. To society. Okay. More public people, I guess. Yeah. Which can also be a bad thing. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Um, yeah. We've, we've had a, a good run at things. <laughs> Yeah, I started <laughs> um, some fun people. Uh, my business partner Mark, um, he owned a gym called Jim Jones, and he originally got pulled on because he was friends with the director Zack Snyder. So he got pulled on to a job called Three Hundred, um, and it was kind of they were like, "Hey, do you think you could make these guys look like crazy? You know, live off the land, kind of wiry." I don't know, strong, lean people. And he was like, yeah, because that's what he was. <laughs> right. <laughs> he lives off the land. Like he was, you know, pretty accomplished, uh, Alpine climber. And, um, so he went and did this job and his project was really, you know, his own private project. It was just for fun. He just wanted to kind of pay tribute to what he had learned in the mountains and teach people about fitness. And, um, then the movie came out, it kind of blew open the doors on what he was doing. And then he did the opposite of what, people do in that state which is he closed the doors and didn't talk to anybody <laughs> so he took no interviews he told nobody anything and he made his site private and he made the you know the building jim jones basically invite only okay so he inverted and then it brewed and it coalesced and became bigger and people wanted to know more and so they opened up a little bit here and there and then uh, i started working there um in 2008 and uh, as just a trainer, I knew about him through jujitsu and MMA that I was doing at the time. And about, I don't know, I think it was, a, I was working there a year. I got a phone call and he needed somebody to help him on the next job. Um, he wasn't going to do movies again, but this one seemed pretty interesting. It happened to be man of steel. So it was the opposite. It was make a guy bigger and make a, you know, more of a bodybuilding approach. And that for some reason interested him because people th- thought that he couldn't do it and because of his rebellious nature it was like uh, i'll show you yeah so we used our techniques and our means to make this person into you know what people know as superman um and where did he come from when you got him like what what was the oh, it's 170 pounds okay he just gotten off of immortals, immortals yeah. yeah so he's very very skinny um very small he'd been dieting for a really long time to do that um, and we ended up, I mean, the biggest we got him on the first one, we got him to 201. Okay. Uh, and then we leaned him back down to about 186. Which is such a misconception. Everyone's yeah. like, oh, Henry was huge. He must have been like 240 pounds. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> no, he's just really lean. Yeah. yeah. And proportionally, it looks like when there's nothing to compare somebody to, they sure. look massive. Yeah. Especially if you can see muscle, it just looks totally different. Right. So normally when people come and they're like, oh, I want to be jacked. I need to get bigger. And I'm like, you probably need to get leaner. Like. If you want to look a certain way, it's usually the removal of, not the addition of. Right. Um, So we started, and that was my introduction to that kind of work. Although I knew a lot about nutrition, that was the first like high-speed application of it. It was like, hey, you have six months to arrive at this place. Mm -hmm. Good luck. Hmm. And so we just did, and we made a lot of mistakes. We uh, a lot of the stuff was unknown um, about how to get somebody lean on time, like. How like what foods do you use? How how much protein? How much carbohydrate? It was a really unknown thing. You couldn't just Google it at the time. Like there was technical stuff. People had been dieting for bodybuilding shows, so we knew that there were ways to do it. Uh, but to get big and get lean were two totally different things. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we progressed in the job, we noticed that like, hey, it's really much better if you're not eating out of boxed foods. So uh, we started to develop like the idea was like, oh, we need to. I need a chef who can make real food and I could tell them to drop or raise certain macronutrients and calorie load and make it taste good so they don't notice that it's dieting. Right. Because if I could take away that thing, they don't feel like they're deprived and then they can do it longer. And so we worked with a couple of chefs and what was always missing was like chefs know flavor generally. They don't know 
they don't know anything about biology as it comes to like how the human drops weight or gains weight. Right. So or they don't, even how it feels to work out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They don't they don't understand the stress that's behind training. So they they could never understand like what do you want? You want this money carbohydrates? That doesn't make any sense. So they don't know how to make those proportions taste good because they just always want to add fat, sugar, and salt to make things taste good. So uh, Aaron, being you know from a physical realm and also one who bakes cakes, and her dad was a chef, uh, the idea came about to start to incorporate how she does things into these bigger jobs. Mm-hmm. So you know, it took a while to kind of. Because uh, it's really hard to sell a big budget film on bringing your wife in as as the other person to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, they're looking for expertise, and for us, she hadn't you know been an official chef, although she grew up around it. Well, um, I worked with my dad for probably yeah. a good twenty years. So but. she had all the skills. <laughs> you can't there. put that on your resume, well, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So she had all the prerequisite skills and she understood the training. So we finally were able to make it so like we could test this out for real. Mm -hmm. And we did. And it worked so well that, you know, now it's just the standard. It's just what you do. Actors, like, are they good to their bodies or can they kind of abuse their bodies in that? Okay, I have this role and... I've got to plump up, so I'm just going to, you know, gain a lot yeah, of weight. Christian or... Bale. Like, is Christian Bale healthy or well, not healthy? <laughs> they're, they're human. So, like, I mean, it's just it depends on which one you're mm-hmm. dealing with. There are some that are very uh, conscientious of, like, their overall health. And they mm-hmm. don't want to jeopardize overall health. Mm-hmm. And there are others who are doing it just to get the role done. And they will do whatever it takes in the short term in order to accomplish it. And once they let go, it's a pendulum and it swings back the other way. And they go back to whatever lifestyle. I think Craig McKinley's a really good example of like someone who stays fit all the time just because he loves the lifestyle. Mm -hmm. He knows he needs to be fit and capable. um, And that helps him get the kind of roles that he wants to get as well. Um, He's a Scottish actor, um, played rugby for Scotland. Yeah. He was was coaching Scotland for quite a while. So he played rugby sevens. Who's on King Arthur? It's actually Captain Morgan. Yeah, he's the captain? official captain. captain. Yeah. Nice. Which uh, is awesome, but he stays fit and healthy all the time. Okay. So he's he's fun to work with a little bit when we're over in London. Yeah, there there's uh, it really does depend, but um I, I think when people think about actors, they usually think, Oh, they have access to whatever they want, which is true. But they also have access to whatever they want. Right. Which yeah. means that like they can eat whatever they want and every meal tends to be the most expensive, elaborate, one-time-only-you-can-only-get-the-sushi-here kind of deal. So everything is just like, oh, you got to try this. Mm-hmm. It's it's over. Everything is over the top. Right. And so it's m- almost much harder to deal with that lifestyle because that's where the business happens. Like, it's at dinners, it's drinking, it's this and that. Yeah. And so to try to, like, oh, yeah, well, your business is dependent on going out and getting drinks and going out and get these super elaborate dinners to the nicest restaurants in the world, like, how do you how do you manage that um that's a little bit more difficult than people can imagine yeah um so it, they are up against it um but they're human as in they have the same behaviors as everybody else it doesn't matter what their job is mm-hmm. um they tend to have more busy schedules than people could ever imagine especially if they have families then you're talking about 12 hour shooting schedules then you're talking about like years at a time where it's 12 hours a day no matter what um and they still have to run empires and businesses and do auditions for the next thing. Otherwise, they run out of work. Right. So as this compounds, it's like the person that has the steady schedule and the steady life usually has the way better chance at making all this stuff work because it's a set schedule. The person is traveling all the time. doing that's, It's not that it's not possible. It's just a little bit more complex. When you train, are you on set with them or do mm. you do it from a distance? Uh, we're usually on set. It mm-hmm. just depends on where they are in the filming process. Okay. Do you take equipment with you? Do you use what the studio has? Like, how how do you arrange, hey, you know, we want this guy to do some deadlifts today. We have a kit, generally, that we ship and lease to the to the production company. Okay. So we pick all the equipment that we need. It's usually bare bones. Okay. I mean, it's a small box. Sure. Actually, it's, I believe it's 55,000 pounds, but it's... Um, wherever we go and sometimes if it's in a foreign country we can get stuff there to make it a little bit cheaper to buy and then we'll sell it off after sure. but for the most part 
it's not the equipment that matters. It's the environment that matters. Mm -hmm. Like I need a private space where we can have conversations and private training and we can (laughs) unravel the psyche um, in a protective space where there can be trust can be built. And a lot of time that isn't happening on set because there's this, you know, there's a play that's going on. Everybody's pretending, everybody's trying to jockey for position. It's like any job, like there's a hierarchy there and you're always trying to impress and do certain things. You can't do what we do in a place where people are pretending. Mm -hmm. Like we do the opposite of pretending. Um, We find out how people react in the real world to really hard things. And we want to address how they react and then change how they react. And if somebody is unable to react authentically, then we can't do our job. Mm -hmm. Um, We were lucky in that Zack Snyder uh, comes from a physical culture. Like he's, he's been obsessed with physical culture his entire life. So generally on his movie sets, he builds out uh, what he calls a house gym. And it's this elaborate gym that's beautiful, well-decorated, artistic, has all the equipment you'd ever need. And it happens to be private. So in those cases, like on justice league, that was, um, that was the studio gym. And we we got to use a place like that, but we always have a backup. There's always a, Hey, if we need to back away from everybody, we can go to a private area. Mm-hmm. Um, because all of this stuff is, you know, yeah, the food that she prepares is supposed to do a certain thing. And the exercises there, first of all, there's no program. Like I don't write a six month program out ahead of time. I look at what date we need to be ready. I write down what I think is involved in that. And then the next day I try to add in what needs to get done. And eventually like it'll start working. So you get into this rhythm. But for the most part, people think that there's like this big elaborate plan on, you know, Thursday we do right. bicep curls kind of shit. That, the, the Superman workout, right? Yeah. You that, got that all planned out. <laughs> well, all, almost all programs from elite athletes are written in retrospect. Yeah. Right. Like, coaching happens on the day like hey how do you feel okay put this much weight on the bar try that okay do this many reps in this many sets right and okay we need to progress the stress so the next day i look but if he's having a bad day i back off a little bit Mm -hmm. but later when somebody's like hey how did that person get so strong they have a spreadsheet and they look at the spreadsheet and they're like oh it's a small off squat program this is how you add 100 pounds to your back squat right it's like no and then it's in men's health and everyone is yeah, gonna try it it's the secret because it's numbers and we're you know mesmerized by mathematics we yeah. think that they're magic and i was like it's not the magic is in the relationship and right. the magic is in like how you can convince somebody to do something that they don't think that they can do whether that's her cooking food that tastes really good that happens to be in a very big deficit um, that gives the illusion that's enough food mm-hmm. or it's going harder than you thought you could go because I gave you I blinded you to the fact that you don't need to quit or whatever it is right now when you when you are on a set training people are you generally hired to train like the stars or do you train the entire cast like just different <laughs> different people at different times how does that how does that workload break down uh, it's been different almost every time but for the most part there is a lead actor that needs to arrive at a certain spot um, and maybe it's two or three leads um, but we always um, there always is a back channel of effort going on. Like there's there's a scene behind the scene of production that catches on to what we're doing and they want a part of it. So um, in almost every job that we've done, we've had to take on some kind of lunch crew. There's always a lunch crew of some sort. And that's a mixture <laughs> of, you know, uh, Clay Enos is like the set photographer who happened to notice what we were doing. And then he... Uh, he he saw what we we're doing a long time ago, did it on his own, came and joined us and became a really good example of our philosophy. So we wanted him there mm-hmm. because he's this ultra strong, ultra lean, ultra healthy person that just shows up and he's just living a normal life. And he's more jacked than anybody on set that has been trying really hard to prepare <laughs> to be shirtless. And he can also, you know, deadlift 500 pounds. So it doesn't like he can walk up, pull a heavy barbell. You know, eat. He'll fast all day, have a shirt off all day, and people will just be like, "Oh, he's a freak." It's like he wasn't always like that. He yeah. just incorporated this stuff into his life. So, him influencing other people to come in behind the scenes, they start to understand what this process is. So, on uh, three hundred Rise of an Empire in Bulgaria, it was a pretty hard um, job because we had <laughs> essentially thirty actors and stunt crew, leads, everything, 
And the hardest thing to translate, though, was the the director, uh, Gnome, was uh, morbidly obese. And so he's filming a movie about physicality and was disconnected from his own. So the idea uh, was he needed to come in and experience this thing. So we were able to take him into lunchtime and actually, I think during the, he lost 47 pounds during a three-month period. Wow. Uh, and it changed how he viewed this stuff. And... Um, a lot of the production crew and producers that end up seeing what this is and think, oh, yeah, I'd like to get some exercise while I'm here and get healthier, it actually changes their life because mm-hmm. they notice, like, hey, this is a good thing in a high-stress environment. I need to take care of myself because I feel better. I sleep better. I'm able to make better decisions. I'm eating better. So, therefore, I'm going to have some longevity in this business as opposed to the you know, light a match and burn everything down lifestyle that that usually leads right. to. Nice. I feel like when you eat crummy – and you feel crummy, you don't know how bad you feel because that's just how you think you feel. You mm. know, like... Mm. Um, it's a thermostat. Yeah. I, my stomach was always a mess, grumbly and always a mess. And when I started working with Aaron, uh, that all went away. Mm. And I was just eating the wrong foods. And Paying probably. attention to what you're eating. Yes. Well, and you just always thought this is this is how it is for That's me. I just, just have. I have a, a rotten stomach. Mm. Y- you know, it's just kind of like that. But it's. <laughs> I'm going to start telling people that maybe you just have a rotten stomach. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's, try some vegetables. Uh, yeah. It's a, right. It's a bad feedback loop, right? Like it's. Um, I feel bad when I eat bad, but the only thing that makes me semi feel good is eating bad like mm-hmm. it's a, a reward system for the wrong mm-hmm. thing so it's a negative feedback loop and you get trapped into it and then it's looping so i think that's what aaron is really good about is like getting people to show that actually good food tastes really good right it's, it, it takes a, a little bit to start to taste it though because we're desensitized right yeah. but once you can start to taste it you're like once you taste food that doesn't make you feel good you're like that's disgusting you're right like everybody likes pizza. It's a really good tasting thing. It generally isn't worth the consequence of how you feel after, right. which is for some reason, I'm so thirsty for like a day and a half. I drink so much water and I don't know why. Why am I so thirsty? And then I'm bloated and then I'm like, you know, kind of have a headache and my ears are ringing. And you're like, <laughs> all I did was eat pizza. Like, it's just bread. I eat bread. Normally, I don't feel like this. And so it's just maybe the combination or the caloric excess or the like the weird industrial seat oils that they use to spray on the pizza to make it shiny, whatever, right, yeah. whatever it is. You don't know what is actually causing it. All I do know is that when you go out to like, I don't know, a fast food place, their profit margin means that they don't care about my own health. Like that business is not concerned whether I live a long time, period. Uh, a five buck sub, they have an 80% profit margin on, mm-hmm. which means the cost of that sub is $1. That includes all the salary for the employees. That includes the overhead. That includes everything. Have you ever been able to make a sandwich for a dollar? It's like, no. no, they're cutting corners somewhere. Where are they cutting corners? I don't know. Maybe it's filler. Maybe it's, you know, they're injecting uh, cheese with silicone because it's a food volumizer. Is that going to make me feel really good? No, but they'll probably make it taste appropriate so they want to eat it, which means they're just tricking my brain into thinking that it's actual food right so like it's oh, it's a so hard gross. concept so <laughs> that's wh- why everyone like when we lived in london when we first got over there you know it's like mm-hmm. 40 dollars to get a burger at a pub mm-hmm. wow. like wait a minute we're just at like a bar getting a burger their food over there is so clean like all of the meat is pretty much grass-fed they don't mm-hmm. have mass farming like we do the food is expensive but it's high quality you keep circling around to it almost seems like you do more with your clients with mindset than almost their bodies yeah. and their and their talk about that a little bit like how much of your job is mindset and what do you do the physical part doesn't really matter at all like it doesn't matter if you do push-ups or pull-ups or bench press or clean or crossfit or you like running or you like biking like what we're trying to find is uh, a way to allow physical effort change how your brain works and how you perceive yourself so we're always trying like we're always just trying to get people to ask themselves questions. Like essentially it comes to when you start to do something that's difficult, there's the conversation, the quote unquote conversation that comes up in your head. And this is a paradox. You 
told yourself that you want to do something today and you know that it's going to be hard. Like, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to better myself. But as soon as it starts to get hard, you're now telling yourself to not do it. That's a different voice. It's, it's a duality. Like part of your brain is telling you not to do something for self-preservation. It's the opposite of the, the place in the brain that told you to do this for self-preservation. You're both arguing whether self-preservation should happen. But it's for totally opposite reasons. One is out of discomfort. One is in hope to have a future self that's better than your current self. Mm -hmm. So you have to, in your head, act like a fucking psycho and decide which one you're going to listen to. And this is the quit, don't quit conversation. Right. For some people, that conversation starts at tying their shoes in the morning. Right? It's like, I just don't. I'm tired. I'm this. I'm that. That's okay. That's where you're at. It's still a hard conversation to have. You just got to get better at having it. And then the more experience you you get, the further down that road you get until eventually we want people at the end of whatever their hardest thing they could imagine is, is that conversation is, how can I go faster or can I hold the speed as opposed to should I give up? Mm-hmm. Because that's what the quit, don't quit conversation turns into. We all quit is the epiphany. Like all of us quit. You can look at David Goggins and you're like, oh, that guy just never stops. You're like, no, I guarantee that guy goes slower sometimes because he just doesn't have it that day. Yeah. Whether you can admit to that or not is the self-reflection. That's the, that's the accuracy part we want to build into people. How honest is your self-reflection? What are you capable of? And, and this is where we find people are useful or not useful. If I can ask somebody, hey, how fast can you do this work? And we mean something very specific by the word work. It's not just going to the gym and sweating. Um, we need to we need to quantify all this stuff because when I say work, it means intentional effort, right? There's a point where I can jog and talk and listen to music and there's no intention there. I'm just jogging. I am not giving myself enough stress to compensate for. So I'm just jogging. I'm just maintaining this thing and pretending that I'm doing something. As I speed up or I extend the distance, something is eventually going to shift and I'm going to have to pay attention in order to either keep going further or going faster. As soon as that shift happens, now I'm working because it's intention. So we need work needs to happen in order for us to compensate from it. So these are these concepts and these ideas lead to us trying to shift how people perceive themselves and the things that they're capable of. And what we really want to see is people expand their map, right? So if, if I ask you like, Hey, how far can you run right now? Nonstop. You're actually asking yeah, me. Yeah. I could do a 5k. Awesome. So your map is a 5k right, right now that you know about the question should be, why not six? Like what would happen at six? Could you not make it back? Like what would, what would be, what are you at risk of? And most people are like, Oh man, it would just be hard. I'm like, are you afraid of things that are hard? Right. And if you are like, It's not up to me to decide. I'm just poking. I'm just an antagonist. And I go, try to go eight and see what happens. Go 10 and take an Uber back. But you just expanded your map by 10. Uh, There's there's never really any danger in going too far. Um, And that's if we build our maps bigger and, and more broad, we get to see the world and we get to start experiencing these things. And this is one of the things that we... Um, you know, yeah, we do, you know, Aaron does his really nice programming. Like it's really fun. It's a sport and aesthetic program. Almost everybody likes it. That likes like CrossFit gym stuff. It's really entertaining, but there's a lot of progression that happens in it. But a lot, a lot of people miss the point of why we do the things that we do, um, because they're not ready for it. But the idea is at the end of that, you should go do something with it. Like go see the world, go climb rocks, go do, you know, go on hikes, go, explore because that's literally the purpose is to be more capable so i can see more of the world right be functional yeah weave in and out of the things that you enjoy like Mm -hmm. if we go to spain you know michael always wants to rent bikes and if i'm not fit enough to go on bike rides with him then i've got to hang back with someone else (laughs) yeah Yeah. I, i mean and that's it's so fun like we see things that we wouldn't have seen in the car so like it's been cool to travel and use some of our fitness in that way because we get to experience more. Yeah. I think that's an important thing for me to keep in mind because as I do my CrossFit and, and getting in, you know, trying to eat better and getting into shape, I've transferred my, my why into, you know, I want to be able to do a pull up. I want to mm-hmm. be able to look 
good with my shirt off eventually. But I got into this because I couldn't ski with Harrison up at Brighton mm-hmm. one time. And okay. that was exactly what you're saying. I couldn't experience what I wanted to experience because my fitness didn't allow it. And my fitness has kind of shifted to kind of a vein. Like I want to look better or mm-hmm. I want to be seen as being able to do X, Y, or Z in the gym. But that's not going to help me. I need to always keep that, keep in mind that I need to do what I'm doing to better myself so I can experience the life around me outside the box. Yeah, vanity is not necessarily a bad thing. Sure. Like it's like it, it starts conversations in your head. You're like, man, I really wish I was different, but it is a deeper seated question. Why do I want to be different leads to me looking in the mirror be, means I'm not the person I want to be. And the reason I want to look different is because we falsely attribute that look with ability. Yeah. We see somebody who's lean and muscular and we're, man, I bet that guy can run fast and go far and jump high and do all the things that I wish that I could do. It's just that we see the appreciation they get, and we we crave the appreciation. So we go for the superficial thing. It's just a marker of a consequence, though. Yeah. The look is not directly tied to ability, though. So it's a mismanaged appreciation. When you actually break it down, we're, we're talking about um, experiential things have nothing to do with your identity. And this is the hardest thing to get people away from in the physical realm is they're so concerned with their identity. I'm eating this way because then I'll have a six pack and then people will like me. Then I'll have friends and those friends will allow experiences or they'll open doors for me or that's the opportunity. It isn't that. It's almost the opposite. Like we remove the identity. Quit being, quit caring what other people think of you and quit caring what you think of yourself and start doing because by doing, you're not concerned with what you are. Right, So there's this famous question from a general. I was like, what should I be or what should I do? And it's like, well, you don't have to... If you, if you be something, if you're worried about what you're going to be, that's an identity. But if you're worried about what you do, it's an accomplishment, it's an experiential thing. And the doing is the being. Right, If I go climb a mountain, I am a climber. But if I go buy all the cool Patagonia gear that makes me a climber, I am not doing anything. I'm just assuming the identity. And this is what most people do when they really get into something like CrossFit. They're like, fuck, I got the stance socks. I got the new Reebok Nano gums. <laughs> got my I got, nobles. I got the yeah. noble lifting shoe. I've got all this gear kitted out so people can identify me with the thing. But then I can't even put a barbell over my head. And I was like, in reality, it needs to be the opposite. Mm-hmm. The look, your physical look, people can just tell. Like you, When you look at a pro cyclist, you're like, yeah, I know that guy's a pro cyclist. He has these super dark tan lines on his legs that you can only get from hours in the sun wearing a cycling kit and he is shaped in a way that makes him his body has changed to make him more aerodynamic and lighter and he probably you know fits the two pounds per inch thing that gives him four watts per kilo or four pound uh four yeah 4.6 watts per kilo that gives him power up a mountain like when you see it you're like I don't have to ask him if he has the latest Rafa kit or the latest bike. It doesn't matter. That guy is doing the thing and he has become it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. It's hard to teach. Most people don't get it and they never will. And they'll listen to this right now and be like, uh, that guy has done way too many drugs. But the, the idea. It's making sense to me. And I think that's speaking to what I need to hear. Anyway. So you got me hooked. So that's a good thing. Well, it's, it sounds very fluffy because we're talking about. Essentially, we're paying tribute to um, the history of philosophy, right? Like these are things that were talked about in ancient Greece, identity and what the world is essence of and what it means to be ontological questions. Uh, What does it mean to be something? And what's funny is people forget. They think, oh, man, there's just a bunch of guys in robes talking about stuff because, you know, that was the first time in civilization that they didn't have concern. Well, they had slaves to do it for them, but they didn't really have to concern themselves with the day-to-day minutia of survival. They built a civilization, and that machinery allowed them to think about things. But what they miss is that original Greek philosophy was discussed in gymnasiums after physical culture happened. So after wrestling and they would develop this physical culture, they would talk about the world and philosophy and their thoughts on the planets and what they what it meant for certain things to happen and you know the qualia of something, which is to experience something. And so these things developed, and all we're doing is paying tribute to that tradition of humans, like talking about experience after the physical thing allows us to think clearly. 
Do you think they had their shirts off? For sure. <laughs> their togas. Their togas were down. It was only naked wrestling. Uh, man. What is the, <laughs> what is the like what's the hold up? Like why don't you just take your shirt off and go work out? I don't like how I look. Uh, 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 yeah. Yeah, but who does? Like not a lot of people like how they look. Uh, let's look, be honest. The hold up this this could go on for a long time, what my issue is. Maybe Heidi could tell you. I don't know. No, I, I get it. I, I it's not it's just the way my body collects fat. It's what I've always said in podcasts, it's it's man boobs. Like the stomach doesn't bother me as much. It's just what's up here. I don't I, that's not a very masculine thing to me. You know what I mean? So um I don't know. Just man boobs. Those two words together shouldn't go. And, that, and that, that's what's hard for me. And that's a matter of losing weight. I need to lose that weight because that's where I gain it first. So that that would just make me, if I'm working out, self too self-conscious to do what I need to do. So I'd rather keep yeah. my shirt on anyway. But most people who like train and take their shirt off at the gym, like, I don't know. I think that they probably... No one's really paying attention to them. I know, and that's what people say. But I would pay. I would pay more attention to myself. Yeah, it's yeah. more of a mental thing for me. But you would pay more attention to yourself, which would lead to paying attention to your behavior. Yeah. And this this is why, like on a lot of the jobs that we do with big groups of people, our requirement is that all the guys in whatever training they have to take their shirts off. Like you have to train with your shirt off. There's an accountability there. Well, we'll drop in somewhere else tomorrow instead yeah. of working. Well, out here I'm not today. saying that's not what we do here. No, I don't it. Require. Take it off. But one of the reasons. One of the reasons is is because yeah, it is superficial. It is vain, but it is also very honest. It's like yeah. oh, that guy hasn't been doing what everybody else has been doing because he hasn't changed in the last two weeks. And so they bring that up. Hey, you want to be part of this group, man? Double down. Do the effort. Okay. Like work harder. And so by Doing this thing that is uh, makes you self-conscious is actually really revealing. It's, it puts you in a vulnerable state, but that vulnerable state is where people are able to change, and, it, and it's it's a fine balance. Like it, it, you're you're talking about a knife edge. If I take off my shirt and I crumble, and it makes me you know I emotionally can't handle what I just put myself through, I'm gonna pacify myself with that pain, that suffering that I just caused myself. So. Mm-hmm. It, there is the risk there, but there is nothing that has reward that doesn't have risk with it. People usually want asymmetrical risk, right? Yeah. Low risk, high reward, but those are very uncommon. The balanced one is I'm going to risk feeling like this so that I can get the thing that I want eventually. And then I, I'm, I'm, I'm preparing myself. I'm like, at what point? Am I comfortable taking my shirt off when I have like nine abs or what? Like, yeah. I it, usually take my shirt off because I've been blowing my nose in my shirt and it's no yeah. longer sanitary to wear it. I, I mean, what there you're talking about one. is a very common human problem, though. It's our perception of ourselves. We are so self-interested yes. that we believe that everybody is looking at us. And the the, the we've got an 11 year old who's going through that right now. He's got that big time. <laughs> the honesty is nobody is looking at you. Nobody right. cares. Everybody is worried about themselves. And so they, they did this experiment a while ago. It is semi true uh, for females to be more self-conscious than men. But they, they basically had people dress self-consciously like a shirt that was too big or it fit awkwardly or like they didn't like the color and they didn't like things fit weird. Like they didn't feel like themselves and they sent them into a classroom in front of people and had them walk back and forth. And then they like, no one knew what the actual experiment was. And it turned out later they're just, they're trying to match up people's self-conscious perception with what other people perceive and what they what they came to note was like nobody notices a male that feels awkward. Nobody <laughs> noticed that his shirt was too big or too small. Nobody noticed that his pants didn't fit or they were out of style. Um, what they did notice is 30% of men would notice that the woman felt awkward, but they didn't know why. And it was because she wasn't comfortable in her own skin. Or, but that's because men are mostly paying attention to women more than women are paying attention to men. And women are paying attention to other women. No, it wasn't women looking at other women. It was only men that noticed that women were uncomfortable. Interesting. And so the self-perception thing is like, we're all, oh man, they're looking at me weird because my shirt doesn't fit right. And I do this every morning. I put a shirt on. I'm like, I just feel weird. Like it makes me feel weird and I don't like the cut of it. But no one gives a shit. They really don't. Right. And that's hard to deal with because I don't feel right. I, I feel like I can't do that thing that I want to do because I'm obsessed with myself. And I go, oh yeah, that's my ego being obsessed with myself. 
And instead of being obsessed with that, I should just go do the thing that I want to do. So what what do you think would benefit Michael by taking his shirt off? What would that give him? Uh, it, well, you say that you're a rebellious person. And I would say it would live sometimes. up to that. Well, that's the sometimes. <laughs> I'm like, if you're, if you're rebellious in nature, I rebel against myself all the time. I yeah. go, man, I don't want to do that thing. Shit, now I have to. Because I just told myself I didn't want to do it. So I, I try to be rebellious in all aspects. I don't know that it would be helpful, honestly. Um, but it's something to think about. It's, it's, it's nothing that I would say, yeah, you should do it. Because I don't know. Yeah. But when somebody doesn't want to do something, the thing that I'm good at is pointing to questions of why you didn't want to do that thing. Yeah. And I've got to figure out what's with me. Because in general, I'm the kind of person that I like diving into stuff that I'm that I'm uncomfortable with or that I'm new to or sure. that I don't it's know. Crossfit, it's CrossFit, right? <laughs> but it's just, it's this one thing. I, this is the hang-up for me that I've, I've always had. But, I mean, last summer we were here in Salt Lake City. We went to Lagoon and we went to Laguna Beach. Mm. I had my shirt on, of course, because I'm not going to walk around Laguna Beach with no shirt on. Mm. For those of you who are not in, in Utah, it's like a water park, Laguna sure. Beach. And I was up there with my son. It was first, his first time going down. And the guy said, hey, dude, you can't, you can't wear that shirt on the slide. I was like, what? He's like, if you're going to slide, you got to take the shirt off. And at that point, I was like, all right, I did it. And I walked around the rest of that day with, with shirt. no shirt on. That was just last summer. Yeah. And that was, it, like you said, it's because I wanted to have the experience and mm-hmm. not miss out on that with my son. And I was uncomfortable, but I kind of didn't think about it after a while. Did you look around and you were like, I'm probably the leanest one here. Actually. <laughs> no, no, but I was definitely not the biggest. Sure. You know? yeah. and, and, you know, having so many people all doing the same thing kind of yeah. helped too. So. It's a work in progress for me. I don't know that today will be my day, but uh, I it it doesn't matter to me either way. I mean, I I keep my shirt on usually just for the same reasons. I want to feel comfortable in my workout and put the emphasis on going hard, and I don't mm. want anything to hold me up. Like, right. oh, are my abs okay while I'm yeah. doing wall walls? I don't want that to be the reason why I stop and slow down and pull my pants up a little bit. You know what I mean? And then it becomes an issue. Like imagine you think we have this perception that, man, if I was just lean, I would feel so comfortable. That Mm -hmm. feeling of vulnerability never goes away, no matter how lean you are. In fact, the leaner you are, the more obsessed you are with it, because that's what people note about you. Like, Oh, like Mike Ludi's so jacked. Look at Mike Ludi. And maybe he's like the one person that just doesn't care. But he's so lean and he works a certain way. But you have to know that that affects somebody's performance at some point. We worked with a team of CrossFitters last year that were working on endurance. So I was working on getting them more efficient at at running and rowing and this kind of thing. So we went to Liberty Park and we were running. And I noticed all the girls, super lean, would flex their stomach while they ran. And I was like, hey, um, this is really weird, but you're using energy that you don't need to use because you want to look good in pictures. I get that. But running efficiency is actually about relaxing. You need to relax and breathe through your belly, your belly. You're going to look fat for sure. Like you're not going to have like veins going through your abs. All of them couldn't do it. They couldn't handle the idea there. They would rather have the look than the performance. It was really hard to break people of. And we're talking about people that are like at the highest echelon of this sport who look like they represent that sport and they are still obsessed with looking a certain way right as opposed to doing it like wouldn't that be weird if you won something it wouldn't matter if you had a six-pack or not like oh, i won the crossfit games and i have a belly right like i mean you wouldn't because the requirements are power to weight ratio sure but the obsession over leanness should go away you would think but it's not some people I think know that they're not going to win. And so they just want to look the part. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, I think all this that is sense. very helpful for me. And I, I bet you Riley, who's my co-host, would say, that's what I've been saying to you the whole time. You don't listen to me. I, but <laughs> but what, you, what you said has really hit home with me. And I, I, the messenger matters. I'm going to listen to it again. It does. I tell Aaron's shit all the time. She doesn't <laughs> listen to me. Somebody else yeah. will tell her the same exact thing. She'll be like, guess what Josh told me about my snatch? And I'm like, oh, that's what I told you. For three years. And she said, it could work so well. And I was like, well, <laughs> if it works, it works. I, who cares who the message comes from sometimes? Yeah. You just need to hear it from you the hurt right the ones you, you hurt the ones you love the most, right? For sure. <laughs> If someone wanted to follow you guys and just kind of connect with you, whether it's on Instagram, a website, something like that. I mean, Michael, you've got the podcast. Why don't we start with how would someone get connected with your work and the things you're you're doing and you're interested in? Um, uh, we run uh, – this building is represented by a website called Nonprofit. Um, profit as in walk in the desert profit, not 
make money profit ph profit yeah uh dot media so nonprofit dot media is the the website and we have our podcast is available through there we have published two books this year um our zine we have five zines and then we sell some t-shirts and whatnot to support the actual podcast um other than that i would say um people don't get a hold of me no, he has an Instagram, Grit and Teeth, and then they have Instagram Nonprofit. Yeah, and they yeah. have a really cool website with some. There's a lot of free content on yeah, kind of this word. stuff that we're talking okay. about. Grit um, and Teeth, and then Nonprofit yeah. with a P H E T. Okay, how about you? That's your shirts should your new shirt should be Profit with a P H. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, our email address is actually Profit P R O. F-I-T at nonprofit. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Nice. Um, I have shutupeat.com, which is a food blog. I've posted some recipes there, but I'm kind of – I'm holding out for something big that I'm working on um, that's up up and coming. Hopefully, uh, will be launched uh, the first Monday in October. Ooh, stay um, tuned. Yeah, so stay tuned for that. And then um, shutupeat on Instagram and then shutupwork.com. All right. We just need to combine all those. So, yeah. Just shut up, right? Just, just, just shut up. Shut can't up. just get <laughs> shut up, right? So shut up, eat, shut up, work. And Heidi, how can people follow you? You're not on social media, so. Uh, what? Going to, I know. I'm the only person in how all the world. How do we know world. that you even happened? I, yeah. I, don't, I don't exist. I post pictures of I'm her more often than yeah. I post all, of me on mine. Which so. is true. true. We need to simmer down on the whole. You look good, and you're doing thank a great you. job. I'm thank proud you. of you. You so. do look good. <laughs> well, thank you guys for... First of all, for what you guys have done for us, and uh, Heidi and I are going to start a savings program so that we can hire you to look like Superman. It's six, you said it was a six-month thing? So, six months. So, okay, I'll, we'll start saving for that. A couple million dollars, maybe? I don't know. So, I wish. But, but we really appreciate you guys coming on, sharing your expertise, and you know, giving us your great studio. This is great. We're using um, nonprofits, microphones, and uh, their studio, and these nice chairs. So we appreciate you doing that. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. 